You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. Keep thinking about what does the fan want, not how can the business improve its commercial revenues. No, why does a fan come to the stadium? How can we cater to that? And then as a result, your commercial uh, revenues will increase. I never had the discussion about spending so much money because I never spend the money. We all know that email is, is a super cheap communication channel. So everything that you can do to improve what you do via email, but it doesn't cost an euro extra, basically you, you do get a, a bit of a free shot. So we had those two suppliers and the one supplier delivered us the Ferrari, but there was no, no one that had the driver's license. Then we actually got the Prius instead. We're with the driver and the driver's license who would teach us to drive. Hi there. Now, if data is the new oil, then customer relationship management is the process of mining and refining that information. Although I'm a consultant in content strategy by trade, CRM is increasingly touching my area. But then, by definition, an intelligent joined-up approach should be resonating in all areas of a sports organisation. Over the last few years, major clubs have spent millions of dollars in getting the right message to the right person at the right time on the right platform. But what if money's tight? You don't have that scale, and those who run the club would rather put their resources elsewhere. Baz Schnatter has just left Dutch football team AZ Alkmaar after spending two years running the marketing department. He built a CRM ecosystem from the bottom up, appointing a partner, dealing with internal stakeholders and the changes they must accept, managing the messaging, the commercialization against the content, everything on a small budget. There's a lot to consider, but the improvements can be very significant. I wanted to explore what he did, how he did it, and what he learned. Remember, you can follow me at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Sports content strategy is on the major platforms too. Then there's my website, mrrichardclark.com, where you can find links to my newsletter, ways to contact me, and all the podcasts that I do. Enough of that, let's go back to brass tacks, as we say in England, how you start and how you run your first CRM system if you're a a smaller club. And let's answer that question with this guy. Uh, I'm Bas Nater. I've been working for the past two and a half years at Azad Alkmaar, where I've been uh, responsible for marketing intelligence and CRM and fan engagement. So it's quite a mouthful. Uh, at the moment, I'm an independent consultant, which I do for uh, for UEFA and some uh, football organizations here in the Netherlands. Thanks for speaking to me, Baz. Now, you've literally, literally just left RZ, and that was your first major job in uh, a sports organization after leaving academia. Um, how did you find that transition? Because you, you'd done a lot of study, and then you had to put it into practice. Correct. And uh, you're already tapping into a good point because um, uh, what I've found is actually that a lot of uh, things that you study can be transferred really well to football organizations. Uh, for example, I've, I've studied uh, communication science, uh, I've done sports economics uh, uh, courses, uh, statistics courses, and a lot of that, that knowledge can be perfectly applied into football in theory. Uh, in practice, it works a bit different because uh, we all know that the football industry is, is, is a beautiful industry unlike any other, uh, but that also means that there's, there's certain behaviors uh, within the football industry that makes it a bit different. If, for example, I would have moved from the academia to, uh, to the media, I could have probably transferred 95% of my knowledge straight into a job there and I would have been up and running straight away. Um, football is very different. We're very the, the football industry is, is focused on something else. They have this one unique aspect that not another industry has, and that's that you play a game every single weekend. So everything in a football organization is operationally organized to make that game go well. And then any strategic direction that you could take alongside of that is is nice but it's not a it's not a primary given fact and that's what i found interesting that uh, a lot of the things in 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 football are very short-term focused Uh, we need to finish this season on this uh, specific uh, point on ladder but thinking about hey where does the organization grow in two or three years i found that with a lot of clubs not just the club that i'm talking about now uh, of azad alkmaar but a lot of clubs in holland and also uh, abroad 
that that's still quite a challenge uh, for um, yeah for decision makers. One of the things you had success with was setting up a CRM ecosystem at RZ. Now, I presume they are with respect a smaller club in European terms. Uh, I assume they didn't have a lot in place to start with. So let's tell the story of that. Where did that start and what was your approach to it? Sure. Let me take you back to the 1st of November 2016, uh, which is the first day that I started at the club. And of course, the first uh, first day and first couple of weeks, you just browse around and see what's what's happening. And it was very clear that uh, the club was... Uh, was um, in a position of, hey, we want a CRM system. So I said, great, what is that to do? Has to do? Okay, so that, that was basically the, 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 the level of thought that we had to work with. So I made in, in, in the upcoming months, I made some sort of an audit on, okay, where, where in the organization is, do they have data? Who, who uh, generates data or who actually collects data? Uh, so uh, obviously we came to the, the, the obvious uh, sources, ticketing generated a lot of data because the fans purchase tickets and every day that gets stored into a data warehouse or a database actually, but there was just a database in ticketing. It was not connected to anything. Now there was also the web shop, uh, uh, which also generates data, fans buy, uh, buy a shirt, it, it all gets stored in a little database. And and that that's all uh, that's all done. Then there was an email platform, uh, which of course had to be uh, you need to feed it data in order to send it emails. So I took notice of the processes that were laying um, behind the uh, behind everything, and I saw that there was a lot of manual work. So there was one uh, marketeer that downloaded uh, email addresses from the ticketing platform, then had to run it via the IT guy uh, through some sort of an access uh, cleaning uh, form where the opt-outs were taken out, where uh, uh, broken first names like one letter or a dot or something, they were cleared out. Then that list returned, got uploaded into the email platform uh, from where uh, hopefully the personalizations were also loaded in uh, correctly. And if not, we had to go back to the ticketing system to get then the first name or a date of birth or whatever the personalization was. So anyways, there was a lot of manual work. And that was interesting because uh, it took a lot of time. And obviously, uh, time is money. So that was a problem that we had to solve. And then also, everyone had their own interpretation on what, what's the value of data. Um, in general, the, the ticketing uh, manager, of course, was on top of the, the most richest data source, but CRM is not just a piece of software. CRM is, uh, has everything to do with people as well and has everything to do with processes as well. The software is just a small part of it. So yeah, that was basically how I entered the club. I saw that everyone uh, had their data sources, some of them very rich, some of them uh, a little less, but nothing was connected to each other and there uh, was a lot of manual work uh, that was done. So at this stage, where's this data held? Is it is it on an Excel spreadsheet or is it in, um, I don't know, a MailChimp <laughs> type system for your email newsletters and things like that? Where's it actually held? And at what point was it necessary to start looking at bespoke software? Uh, if only it was stored in MailChimp. It was, it was basically, uh, most of them were stored in their own databases behind the technical uh, software. For example, we had a license uh, with a license with a, with a ticketing supplier and that, that ticketing supplier uh, created its own database. So it was not feeding into a central system yet. And the downside of that is that uh, when the club installed Wi-Fi inside the stadium, uh, the thought processes were or the thought process was there that they said, okay, we want to, we want the Wi-Fi to generate data. Therefore, uh, we want uh, fans to to register for the Wi-Fi uh, in order to get it. But since we the the ticketing platform was being used as the central warehouse because we didn't have anything better, uh, it had, and it had minimum requirement of nine fields. Imagine the situation that you go with your with your phone into the football stadium, and just because it's uh, it's required by the ticketing system because that's the database, you have to fill in nine data fields to get Wi-Fi. 
So first name, last name, date of birth, where do you live, uh, what street number do you have, what street do you live, what's your uh, postal code, everything for Wi-Fi. So the processes were, uh, they were starting from the business point of view, not the fan point of view. As a fan, I would never give away uh, maybe my email address for Wi-Fi, that's fine. I give my dummy email address, uh, my Gmail, which I never use. Um, but other than that, I'm never going to give eight other data fields, which, uh, yeah, in, in that situation we did. So definitely there was a situation where we, where we had to say, okay, we need to lower the steps for a fan to be registered into the database, into a database. So how did you bring it all together? All those different data points? Yeah, we started uh, with a project where we wanted to uh, obviously connect all the databases together. So basically, I just did a walkthrough internally about, hey, how do, how do you feel about the last project that, that uh, run? Because I, I noticed quite some resistance. Ah, here we go again with another project like that. Uh, so there was quite some internal resistance. So basically, I, tr I started to audit, okay, what, how did, why did it fail last time? And how could, and what could we prevent uh, this time? And one of the key factors which I mentioned before was training. So training was apparently very uh, important. And also, I basically had to discover from each department, okay, what are your uh, demands? How do you see a successful future in this? And what are the pitfalls that we need to avoid? Um, those have mapped out and, uh, and that we've just started with a project group. We've just started to invite um, uh, CRM suppliers because uh, CRM it does have a, a quite a big technical layer uh, and either you can uh, find someone who can code or you can just take like okay we could outsource the warehousing part which is obviously uh, a bit easier to do so we've out we've we've basically we've we've had a couple of meetings and I've I've run down down a list of uh, requirements internally. Uh, one of them was uh, that uh, the, the the data supplier needs to be uh, Dutch speaking. Uh, so therefore, we we cut it down to the final two, and we made a choice uh, for two circles at some point because they uh, delivered um, they delivered not only the warehousing but also the pieces of training and the pieces of consulting. And that's, I think, what makes the difference between a successful uh, data organization and an unsuccessful data organization is where you actually, you have a lot of organizations that give you the software and say, okay, good luck. And Two Circles was at that time very willing to give, to make the extra step and to say, uh, okay, we'll also provide you with the training and we'll help you with the campaigns and we'll help you with the segmentations, basically training me. Uh, to become comfortable with using data for the for all the the business as usual as we were already doing. There's a couple of questions there that you've that, that I had planned that you've you've cut across. So let's go back into them and discuss them a, a bit more detail. I had philosophy versus technology discuss, and I've got what are the conversations you had to have internally. So let's go back into the first one, philosophy versus technology. Now you. You know, from my reading as well around CRM and we've all read Fiona Green's book and it's marvellous um, yeah, <laughs> plug plug I agree. Uh, and, uh, but uh, she's, she's very very big saying you know it is it is a it is an ecosystem it is a journey it is not a piece of technology um, and, and so what preparation work did you do to make other people aware of that because we've read the book right we get it we understand it but you've got to convince other people that this isn't a piece of software that you plug in and it suddenly spits out gold. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a nice way to put it. No, 100% agree, and I completely follow Fiona on that one. Uh, it, it isn't just a piece of technology, though it's very important. Uh, it's more about how do we uh, start to create value for the fans, for the sponsors, using the data behind it. So um, internally, it was quite a debate. Um, because not everyone believed in data from the beginning. Obviously, in football, there's also this thought stream going like, we've done this for the last five years, so why would we change it? It will probably last for the next five years. Those people you also have to manage. Uh, so that's, that's, that's always a challenge. Uh, but I think it's always good to find some, uh, some people that do actually want to, to join in. 
And then in that part, you always have uh, the people that want to join in, but are skeptical, and the ones that are join they they uh, join in and are already very uh, active uh, and uh, positive about it. But I do think that the key thing here is actually um, boardroom approval. If the board is not in, it's very difficult to to um, to convince them if they don't have that in their mindset. And let's be honest, uh, boardrooms in football are also a bit uh, sometimes of people that have been sitting there for 20 years or uh, the, the people that, uh, that are just not as digitally savvy as, as the, the people on the floor are. So that's always a bit of a convincing thing. Uh, I was lucky that I, had, uh, I was working under a CEO who's been a baseball player himself. So he worked with data for many, many, many years. So I was very lucky there that I didn't have to convince the CEO as much anymore. Uh, but yeah, that if I have to point out one vital uh, aspect, it would definitely be boardroom approval. Did you have a difficult process of cutting down the scope? Because CRM can be so big. It can include so much information, so much data. And yet presumably as a at a smaller club you you can't go for the ferrari you need the you need the nice safe saloon car to start with <laughs> yeah 100% uh that's that's what we went for as well because we had those two suppliers and the one supplier delivered us the ferrari but there was no no one that had the driver's license uh, and then we actually got the the, the prius uh instead where with the driver and the driver's license who would who would teach us to drive so that's that's basically what we've done uh, and that, yeah, that that helped helped as that. That helped a lot. So you you've got some data, you've got some training, um, you've had some internal conversations. Um, then presumably, what's the next part of the process? You've you've got to be analysing your data and thinking about segmentation and messaging. Is that right? Yeah, I want. I actually just another thing popped in my head about the previous question uh, about narrowing down the scope. Because that was a very important thing as well. We had a there was a business need that we had to change because the the season ticket uh, holders was dropping. So we did we did have a very big business need. And as soon as commercial revenues are at stake, then all of a sudden football jumps into action, saying like, okay, we need to do something about this. So the first need that we identified was not per se sponsorship or was not content yet. It was very much ticketing. A lot of revenue was running away from that, and we had to stop that. So that was the first uh, need that we had, and the first we had to work on. And obviously, if you talk about ticketing, uh, the safe, uh, the safest way to go is to increase your season ticket holders. So that's where we started. We we sat down together, um, and this is the point that we had appointed uh, two circles as the data partner. Uh, we sat at that point together saying like, okay, what, what can we learn from the past? What does our historical data tell us about the people that actually lapsed? Uh, what was the reason? So myself, from a, I have a, a social scientific background, so I immediately jumped in a, into the point, let's ask the fans. I'm a, I'm a fan engagement guy as well, so why uh, discuss about the fans well when they're not there? So basically what we've done is we've done a research on why did you... Um, why did you lapse and what's your what's what's your value of the what's your perceived value of the season ticket um and this might already jump into a uh, into a new question of yours so i'll just go along but uh <laughs> go for it Buzz. Uh, okay perfect <laughs> uh they did so we actually uh, we conducted a research a survey amongst the fans on what is your perceived value of the season ticket why do you have it and why would you if you would why would you cancel or if you are here why are you here? And answering those questions uh, gave us, or uh, asking those questions gave us a, a good set of answers where we actually saw that fans come to watch uh, great football, for example. So, hey, that's a USB. Uh, fans want to see a great football at the stadium. Definitely, let's go do that. Do that. Then, who do they uh, come with? Big proportion was with the family, big proportion with the friends. Actually, a lot of people also came alone. So that was interesting. So that's all of a sudden we started to realize, hey, wait a minute, there's, there's from asking the fans, we found out, find out that it's actually, a so, it's also for people that are coming alone, it's, it still has a social value. It's not the football, but it's actually the social value. And, and 
yeah, if you go to the football yourself, you also know that if there's a goal, you just grab someone that's standing on the left of you, grab someone that's standing on the right of you, cheer together, high-fiving the guy in the front row, uh, high-fiving the guy in the back. It's always a social thing. And that's obviously what fans come to the stadium for. And this, this is, again, what I want to um, point out as well. I think it's always the most important to, uh, to keep thinking about what does the fan want, not how can the business improve its commercial revenues. No, why does a fan come to the stadium? How can we cater to that? And then as a result, your commercial uh, revenues will increase. So you've got some understanding of the fans, why they didn't come on the, and the value that they had on the season ticket and also why some of them didn't come. How did you use CRM to create a message that brought them back? Because you can't control how good the football is, but you can message them, right message, right time, right people, right platform. Yeah, so basically you start striping out like, okay, these are the 10 arguments that people give, which ones can I influence and which ones can I not? So uh, as you rightfully say, the football result you cannot influence. Therefore, uh, we started to think like, okay, what can we do? And what do fans come for to the stadium? And at this stage, we were still, uh, two circles were still taking us by hand because it was very new for us, for me as well. I knew obviously the, the statistical parts behind it, but not per se, the, the actual uh, database, uh, marketing, segmentation techniques, etc. So they were helping us with that. And um, how we've actually transformed that, because we, we, took, we took so much information from that survey that we were actually able to identify USPs per stand. So we were able to say, like, okay, the, the grandstand are coming here because the, it, it gives them the best... Uh, best view on the pitch which it all makes sense right but the, also they they uh, what they most valued was player interaction so that was for us all of a sudden a key point saying like hey if they like player interaction and we're now getting into the into the stage where fans will renew or not let's put the content let's let's uh, tell them a story in such a way that hey these are the the five moments where the fans uh, or where the players jumped into the stand uh, to celebrate with the fans, for example. And we actually personalized the content based on the on the arguments that they gave. And that, we, we noticed, helped a lot uh, in uh, A. The open rates were far higher because of the emails. We had a new email platform. It looked far more professional. But also, we just noticed that, uh, that click rates were way higher than the years before. Uh, just because we, in this example with the grandstand, we had this this player that was actually a photo of this player that was high fiving a kid, for example, after a goal, and that's stuff that fans on that stand uh, want. Where on the the fanatic stand, they said yes, we want player uh, player interaction, but we also find it valuable that I can drink beers with my friends. Now you don't want to put the beers in your content, but you do give this, then you do personalize the content in a way where you see them cheering together with the player hugging each other and the player for example when you say the content how are you interacting them here is it is it an email newsletter or is it a mail shot around tickets or or what it's emails which we use a lot email is still very very important um, communication channel uh, but also social campaigns oh okay so social media as well but how could you target the, the social media campaigns you basically just take a list uh, from all the people that sit in the grandstand, put that in uh, in Facebook, and uh, just target uh, an ad to them specifically. Ah, oh, it's Facebook advertising it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did how did it work with your content team? Because you know I've run content teams, and uh, content teams judge themselves via uh, great, innovative, engaging content, positive metrics. Uh, they don't necessarily judge themselves by what the commercial side of the club want was that ever a difficult conversation not so much and maybe that's where i was lucky as well because our communications team is very was very um uh very open to new ideas they just didn't know where to go to so um they they were very much um open to innovation but they needed to be directed a bit so uh, i was always very uh short on the content side and um just to give you a bit of a framework, the content team in this side is internally two communication guys and a, and a graphic designer and externally uh, video guys. So basically, we've, we've, with the video, 
we've created some very engaging content using the internal communications team as well and the survey as a base saying like okay what type of videos do we want to create uh, what does what what story does it need to tell uh, so I've involved them always uh, because that's of course very important for the entire process uh, but then also we've asked the graphic designer hey what what's your creative input in this and we've we've co-created this this uh, content piece around around the campaign where normally it was always about okay you guys make uh, create an image you guys uh, send the email and this and that and everyone had its own chore and then in the end you just uh, pasted it together and it was something but now this this was different that we actually co-created the entire uh, message on the campaign so you're giving them a, an element of self-control autonomy creative influence Yes, exactly, because in the end, they are the, the, the specialists on content. I'm not. Uh, so I can uh, give directions, which a project manager, uh, in my opinion, should do. You give directions, you give input, you create together. But in the end, it's their uh, specialty. Uh, and they should be uh, uh, the ones that are uh, able to deliver the best work on that one. So what other campaigns? You talked about season ticket holders um, to, to try and arrest this fall in, in season ticket numbers what other campaigns did you conduct based on your analysis and segmentation uh the regular ticket campaigns it was always very tra transactional driven and that's something i i personally don't fully agree with because you you also communicate with your fans if there's nothing to sell uh, is my personal opinion but we that was not the that was not the case but most of the times, uh, for example, if we had tickets to sell for a certain match on, say, a Sunday uh, afternoon, we always uh, created uh, uh, a small piece of content specific to that uh, match. But then the difference happened in the uh, personalization and the segmentation behind it, where we said, okay, we're only going to invite people that are uh, that come to games on Sundays and not on the Saturdays, because. Uh, for example, if if we can find out that we've emailed someone five times for a Saturday game and they never replied one time for a Sunday game and they've replied, then it's pretty possible that they have something else to do on that Saturday. That's how we actually target group, but the conversion remained the same. And we did the same with some merchandising emails where we said, okay, we normally blasted out an, a merchandising email to the entire fan base. This time we took a different approach. I said, okay, let's just start emailing this only to the amount of uh, to the people that have actually uh, a have done a transaction in the last year in the, in the web shop or have ac has actually clicked on banners uh, like uh, merchandising related banners in the newsletter or that has opened in a uh, different merchandising email uh, already so that cut down the group all of a sudden to say 20% of what we would normally send it to but if you then followed the numbers you could see that the amount of clicks to the actual uh, campaign page of that merchandising campaign was exactly the same number as when we sh we just blasted it out to the entire fan base. So who's doing that analysis? You're saying you're looking at your numbers and you're and you're getting that information. Is that is that rely? I mean, you're not the biggest. RZ aren't the biggest club in the world, and this is why this is an interesting case study. So who's doing that sort of deep down granular level of analysis? Or, or, or is that, or is that deep down? Is that, is that basic analysis? I think these days is basic analysis. Uh, that's not very deep uh, anymore. Uh, I think that's it, it. It will only, yeah, go more into this direction. It will only you will send way more emails, but to way smaller groups. So if you don't have an email marketer yet as a club, definitely dive into that one. Uh, someone that can make segmentations. Uh, someone that understands that. Uh, this is all about conversion, etc., and and not annoying the fans with emails that are irrelevant to them. But these these analyses I've actually done myself, um, together with uh, sometimes it was together with the data partner, sometimes it was based on their sec uh, selection tools, but most of the times it was also just uh, me in Excel uh, trying to figure out okay well, who's this this uh, who's this fan that buys merchandising and how can we better sell our products to them not annoying them at the same time yeah that's, <laughs> i look at my mail i got the newsletter sign up to my newsletter by the way all podcast listeners if you are not signed up yet 
there's a link on the site. But also uh, Arsenal Analytics, I remember looking at all the major countries and cities and things like that. And then I flipped the the sourcing tool the other way around and went to the lowest, the lowest, um, the countries with the lowest amount of unique users per month. And Vatican City has a Guna in it. When I was there, Vatican City <laughs> was a population of, I don't know, is it a couple of hundred? Is it, is it less than a hundred? I'm not sure. But one of them, one of them was a Guna because he was coming to Arsenal.com every single month. So I don't know if it's the big man, but if there's red and white smoke that ever comes out the top of uh, some pieces, <laughs> we'll know he's a Guna. Uh, as a, that's just an aside. Um, Getting back to your CRM, what were those cheap, quick, early wins that you had? Because presumably you've not got the biggest budget to go with. So you're going to need, you know, in that that situation, we all need quick, cheap, early wins. Keep people happy to, to keep people on track with the process, to keep people off your back about spending so much money on this. You need some early wins. So what did you do? Yeah, well... I never had the discussion about spending so much money because I never spend the money. I mean, we all know that email is, is a super cheap uh, communication channel. So everything that you can do to um, uh, to improve what you do via email, but it doesn't cost an euro extra, basically you, you do get a bit of a free shot. But with this season ticket campaign, before that, he had a half season ticket campaign. Uh, it doesn't happen everywhere in the world, but I'll, I'll explain. You just buy, basically, you just buy a membership for the second half of the season. What we've done, actually, is that um, the, the club has stopped selling that product. And they never really had the insights on, okay, who's actually staying? They, they could have figured it out, but it was not part of the pro- thought processes yet. So I actually said, hey, we have the data partner now. Uh, why shouldn't we reinstall this process? Why shouldn't we... St- start selling these uh, half-season tickets again. And of course, there was a bit of reluctancy, but I also used that as a, as a good case because that was uh, that was exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to show like, okay, we're going to sell more just because we now have new tools uh, available. We have new thought processes available. We've matured as a marketing team. And that was actually, that went really well. So now all of a sudden we improved it a lot. So. That was, that was already a good uh, small result, which only took us a couple of months of preparation. We didn't do a lot of, uh, of analysis behind it. It was just more, um, okay, we have, a, we have a bit of information. We're going to sell this half-season tickets. We do put some segmentation, segmentation techniques out there, but it was still very basic. And that big success that we already got from that actually eased the arguments saying like okay let's use the new uh let's use the new techniques as well on the major season ticket campaign so that sort of campaign worked what didn't work what what did you expect to work but didn't work you must have had some experiments that didn't come off yeah uh if you have a fantastic uh email campaign ready uh segmentation is all in place uh you think like okay i'm i'm getting the right message out to the right group at the right time via the right channel. Everything looks looks perfect. All the, the, the industry literature shows you uh, all the green flags, but then you lose you you just lost three games in a row. Yeah, then obviously it doesn't though it doesn't always work. And that's that's the interesting thing as well because that's the first point that the critics jump up from their seats and say, ha see, it doesn't work. Obviously you we just lost three games. Uh, so uh, that's what we learned, where, we, where I thought like, okay, well, there's this basic demographic segmentation, but apparently that is not enough. So we need to dive deeper because we need to then sell the tickets, not to uh, fans that, uh, that um, show all, all the green flags on demographic segmentation, but I actually want to get fans that still show up to games, even though we've lost three games in a row. So it's more on... on Fan behavior and not demographics. And that actually triggered the thought that of a project that we've just finished, uh, which is actually a clustering project based on data. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that later. Okay, that's interesting. Because you, you talked about segmenting on demographics a lot. And I was thinking, well, mm-hmm. 
if you look at what MLS are doing, they segment entirely on sentiment. I think I think they've they've moved across from demographics. So yeah, what's your thought process on that? What did you learn from this about demographics versus behavior and sentiment? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I, I fully agree that that's the next stage. Uh, if you have a fan that still shows up uh, during the during the bad games, uh, during the during the the season where it's just not going well, and you you're you keep losing games uh, in the last couple of minutes uh, every time, and the the fans still show up. That's a very specific behavioral aspect that you can leverage. Uh, you can actually say like, "Hey, you are the fan that is also there on the down times, not just on the up times," uh, and you can use that for any any type of uh, communication. You could say like, "Okay, uh, thank you for being there. Thank you for still supporting us. Uh, you know what? Next game of the year, second beers on us, for example." And uh, I think that's that's the shift that is now gonna happen. And this will start with the uh, with the industry leaders first. It's I'm talking MLS. Uh, uh, well, maybe not Man City because they, they most of the times those that those size of clubs are sold out anyways, so they don't have that much effort they have to put in ticketing. But yeah, that's that's the MLS for example has that. Uh, there's there's the the Dutch league that will follow uh, a while after. But I do think that that behavioral segmentation is far more important, which is the reason why we've done that uh, clustering campaign uh, project as well. Yeah, sorry, j- just tell me a little bit more about that clustering campaign it might be a good time to bring that in so what does that involve yeah yeah okay so i've been uh running with this thought uh, for a while already where again i'm from a social scientific background so i'm always uh thinking like okay there's been a research done which holes can i shoot in this type of research why is it good why is it bad that's just my nature now as well so it gives me a little nice uh uh critical academic uh feel uh, behind it so uh, wh- what I've noticed most of the times is that uh, cluster, uh, re- clustering research has always been done based on, uh, most of the times it's been done based on focus groups. So what they've always done is, okay, we invite uh, five times, we invite 10 fans, we start communicating with them. From that, we, uh, we start to code uh, everything and we start to, uh, to analyze and, and we come up with these five, six clusters of fans that are inside your stadium. But the downside of that is that, well, there's a, there's a clear upside. It gives you a nice rough overview on what your fa- on your fast fan, the type of fans that you have. Though, how big is the percentage of each each cluster in your entire fan base? Who are the the, the families? How how many people are we talking about? Are we 10, 50, 100, 5,000? It it never said that. So. We never got an answer to that. So I've always been walking around with this idea of, okay, can we use the data to actually make a clustering uh, on our database where I can actually point out someone, hey, you're sitting in row 13, seat 12, you're that type of fan. Obviously, I wouldn't tell that to the fan itself, but you you get the point. Uh, because that then I think you get a more reliable clustering campaign. So what we've done is that I've actually uh, I went to the CEO. Uh, he had contacts with the, the University of Amsterdam. Uh, so um, they gave us an intern, brilliant guy, and uh, he, he's a data analyst. So he's actually the data magician that can actually code and, and get the data, uh, data together. And together with him, we started up this project uh, on how to cluster the fan base, and we've we've done actually that that's just been just been finished. That we've actually now been able to say, okay, we have seven clusters based on aspects of uh, ticketing behavior, but also uh, uh, which matches do you show up? Uh, do, do did these fan care about uh, the the result? What did they purchase inside the stadium? How much do they spend on merchandising? Combining all that data. Bear in mind, the, the, the individual data was ticketing and uh, uh, attendance data. And then uh, we've generalized that with a survey uh, where we've asked about communications, uh, preferences, uh, merchandising uh, behavior, and food refreshment behaviors. I'm thinking of a lot of things here because if you look at a traditional marketing tunnel where you've got the, the 
advocates at the end and the, the thing that's always different in, in the smallest part it tapers off and there's a small amount of advocates because they're gonna sell your product for you and of course football is very different because advocates are singing from the terraces or from the seats every single game they're advocating their club um did you ever you talked about being transactional rather than sort of selling rather than selling content and selling engagement did you ever try and tap into that real hardcore and give them a message to make them advocates because you've got a hardcore there that you might be able to turn into advocating for the for the club and helping to sell the club within the fan base itself so that message is not just coming from the club but coming from the fans yeah well there's been a good uh, some good examples from other clubs in holland actually where fc utrecht for example i really like to look at them to see what they do and they've actually run these campaigns on uh on bring a friend uh for free during the first games of the season also always a very tough sellout but then they've actually uh created a a very good follow-up campaign uh tracking down okay this was this was someone that came in for free now we'll give him a, a small discount when he comes on his own with his own friends with his own family with his own children and then we'll, they'll they've started to follow up uh, those fans as well uh, so there are good, a lot of good examples I, I see. But yeah, well, what was your question again? <laughs> no, it was, no, it was about uh, using your segmented audience to really target people who you could positively use. I mean, use in a in a positive way to to sell the club to other people, basically to bring people along. Yeah, here's well, here's an example that I I yeah always really like to talk about because. To me, this is true fan engagement. This is not, not much to do with data, though it ties into it. Uh, what we've done in the last uh, season ticket campaign is that uh, um, my, my idea was to put a flyer on, on each seat uh, in, in, at the stadium uh, that was not renewed yet uh, during the last home game, right? So we want to put a, we, we put down a flyer, a small, uh, like uh, with a handwritten font by the, by the captain, Gustil, saying like, uh, dear fan, Thank you that you've been here this season. Uh, we've had some uh, great uh, results and we couldn't have done it without you. Now, we've noticed that you haven't renewed your season ticket yet, uh, which we would find uh, find a shame because we really want you to be there uh, next season as well. So, uh, th- and then with a ha- with a signature of Gustil uh, under it. So, I had this idea and I wanted to put these flyers on all the re- non-renewed seats. But imagine, it was me and maybe three interns uh, and a massive stadium. So, and there were still quite some uh, some uh, season tickets to renew. So, obviously, I already got the uh, the first critics already came. Ha, oh, you with your great ideas, and uh, you're never gonna uh, fly or each uh, seat. And I was like, yeah, but I'm thinking different. You guys are. Uh, I'll, I'll show you. I'm thinking in a different way. So, what I've basically what I've done, I've approached the support the federation. I said, guys, listen, we both have a goal. The fuller the stadium is, the better results we get and the more chance we have of reaching European football, which is what you want, which is what we want. So help me out on this one. The guy took the, took the message. He said, boss, no problem. Uh, I'll call you back in a, in a couple of minutes. Calls me back and he says, okay, it's done. Uh, let's uh, start uh, this Sunday uh, when, when the game was. Let's start this Sunday a couple hours earlier. I show up uh, to the game with my box of flyers. Uh, and he just basically got 15 to 20 people arranged to flyer the entire grandstand. I was flyering the the one of the short stands, and in fact the the um, uh, the fanatics they said, "Hey, listen, we we get your message. We're we're in. We're gonna flyer also uh, each. We're gonna flyer each seat, um, not just the ones that still need to be renewed." And in that way, the fans actually started to help us with a very commercial-driven, uh, commercially-driven uh, campaign. But because the message was, we want the stadium uh, full, you guys want it as well, we need to do this together, all of a sudden the fans started to help us with that. And I think that was one of the better examples on the power of your fans and how they can actually help you, rather than just, yeah, bluntly... Uh, some uh, some CEOs see the see the fans as a cash cow. It's not. It's a lifestyle. And if you understand that the, their club love is is something they will run extra miles for, then we can actually uh, work together on reaching our goal, on their goal, 
And yeah, th this example has nothing to do with data, but I do think it's it's one of the better examples that I have on on how we activated the fans uh, for us. How do you scale this, and what lessons could you tell us for anyone starting small at a smaller club, introducing a CRM ecosystem, but setting up with a view to starting small but scaling it? You know, because because you want this to grow and to get more sophisticated. Yeah, I would always say um, find advocates internally. So the ones that are actually willing to innovate, because the ones that are willing to innovate uh, and you can actually help them to innovate, builds their own professional self-esteem as well. And they can say, hey, we've, the, we've been there from the start. I think that's the first thing. Then uh, quickly find some low-hanging fruits like we've done with the half-season ticket campaign, like we've done with the merchandising uh, campaign, find the low-hanging fruits and um, see if you can uh, get some results from that straight away. And be aware that uh, the low-hanging fruits with the least amount of risk, because if you actually take a very risky, low-hanging piece of fruit and it doesn't work, obviously you will get the, the critics uh, up from their seats straight away. Yeah, you do need some good results, but as soon as that happens, give it give it some more traction, um, give it some more uh, more focus. And from that point on, it will start to grow, hopefully. And just get people along in the process. Uh, it's never one person's story. It's never the database marketeer. It's never just this one guy that runs the CRM or this one guy that, send, that makes the segmentation emails. It's always a combination of, of factors. So as soon as you get people involved early, um, the better it is. Now you've left RZ, how do you look back on this CRM ecosystem that you set up and what metrics prove success, in your opinion? Ooh, good question. I look back on a very successful two and a half years. I think that uh, that we've worked very well together. Uh, RZ has had very clear goals. Um, well, vaguely, but clear goals on, hey, we want to improve this and that and that. I had some very clear goals. Uh, we worked really well together, so I think that has uh, that went really well, and we had, uh, yeah, basically we had fantastic results because the the attendance has has gone up, uh, season ticket sales has gone up, the vibe around the club has improved, which uh, which uh, comes down to uh, all kinds of other fan engagement techniques. Has nothing to do with data, but more about involving fans in specific processes uh, with the club. So I think it's been uh, been fantastic. Well, what was the second part of the question? And again? the metrics. Have you got metrics to prove this? Because in, in data, you've always got to have some metrics to prove your point, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Now, yeah, uh, very clear metrics uh, is that attendance has gone up uh, drastically. Sales of the season tickets, yeah, I cannot mention numbers, but has gone up drastically. There are some, some blogs on my LinkedIn as well where, where I actually dive into percentages. But a very important one was Retention was 78%, uh, so it was always quite low, unhealthy. And in one summer, we got it up to 94%. So that was uh, that was quite a good result. And the team's not done that well on the pitch in that period of time. So team performance hasn't been an influence, that's what I'm saying. It's not been a significant influence. Yes, they've, they've performed uh, well that season, uh, but I've seen from historical sales that uh, seasons that we've also finished third, uh, still sales went down. So there was no correlation uh, between uh, the sales of season tickets and the end, the end ranking of, of the season, uh, nor with the amount of goals scored, nor with a lot of other factors. So it's it's the it was the it was the main argument saying like oh because we had a great season but basically statistical evidence showed that that was not the case. And moving on to you, uh, you've left RZ as we said. So so where are you now and what are you doing? And is CRM a big part of it? Yes, yeah, CRM is uh, still a big part of it. I'm uh, now working still as an independent consultant. Uh, I do some uh, gigs for UEFA. I'm exploring new projects uh, at the moment. Um, but it's it does look very positive because I do think that we've we've basically been working on quite a few nice things, and uh, basically it's just just doing what I like. So it's not really yeah, it's it's, it's gives a gives a different vibe. I got a very nice argument uh, or very nice 
positive remark last Tuesday when I was presenting the clustering analysis at the sports analytics conference in, in at the Young Craft Arena in Amsterdam, where, they, where someone walked up to me saying like, hey, normally we have all these people that are having a data story, but they're always trying to sell us stuff. Uh, you just basically shared a story of what you've experienced and it, and it, it felt way more natural. And that's that's how I think it, it that's the better part around it because it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a fun industry to work with. It's a lot of fun to work with data if you get those results. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that's always been my paradigm. It's never work. It's just something I like to do. And I think if if you're in sports with that mindset, it's a it's a very nice flow that you can uh, get on. I'll put all your links on the show notes uh, and tag you in the post so people can find you. Are you going to specialize as a consultant? Because I'm kind of content, but it it's all very mixed up these days, isn't it? I mean, marketing and content and journalism and CRM, it's very, very linked these days. Good point. I think that uh, specializing in data by definition means I'm, get, I'm getting a broader scope because data is being uh, implemented in so many things, in commercial sponsorships, in hospitality, in in uh event sales, in ticket sales, in, in content, that data will be adopted by the, f- the wide spectrum of departments that uh, football clubs are working with. So it's not uh, uh, specializing in data, it's actually broadening my scope. So yes, that's, that's indeed something I'm, I'm going to continue to do, because basically it's, it's also what I like to do. Bash Nata, thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.